So this morning, we continue our series, Bless. Bless. Bless people. Bless people to help people. Bless people to help people see who Jesus is. A few weeks ago, we talked, we began with this series on bless, and, and blessing, as we talked about already, is an acronym to help us just remember practices that people do to help them in mission. And we began a few weeks ago talking about Jesus. If you remember the story of Jesus going uh, to Jericho uh, on his way to Jerusalem in Luke's gospel, and he runs into this little tax collector, this short tax collector named Zacchaeus. And we watch as Jesus goes to this guy, this guy on the outside of society, the guy that everybody loved to hate. Jesus goes to him and says, Today, I need to meet at your house today, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes to faith and gives half of his money away and devotes to say, or he promises to say, I'll give four times whatever I cheated. He has this amazing conversion. And we draw out of that numerous things, but the main thing uh, was that Jesus is on mission, that God is on mission for us. He didn't just wait in heaven and hope that we someday figure it out. He sent his son to come to teach us and then to suffer and then to die, to sacrifice himself for us, and then he rose again. And so we realize that God is on mission. And then the next thing we realize is if God is on mission and we're following this God, if Jesus is on mission and we're following Jesus, then that means that we're on mission too. That we are on mission in most of us here in this community. Some are called to other communities. People have been going to other parts of the world um, as missionaries. Even now, Max and Colleen Nanichuk, they're preparing to go to South America uh, as missionaries. Most of us, though, in this room have been called as missionaries to live missional lives in this community. So we talked about that's the beginning, that's the bedrock. And then last week we talked some about B, the first letter of bless, is begin with prayer. And we watched as Jesus, uh, he had the day before gone through all these, like he'd healed people, uh, cast out a, a demon, he had gone to heal Peter's mother. Uh, that evening after supper, everybody, the whole town brought their sick and people who needed healing, they brought them to Jesus. Well, early the next morning he goes out to pray. And he comes back with this new vision of going to these new towns and proclaiming the good news. And so we talked about how we begin with prayer. And hopefully you heard some of what God has been doing in me in this last week as I've been praying for people on my list. This morning we come to the L of bless. Listen with care. And I've been thinking some uh, how poorly our culture listens. Think about this for a sec. In our culture, how well do people listen to you? How well do you feel listened to? We live in a culture that is crazy busy. <laughs> I'll talk about this in a minute, but Lord forgive me for how busy I make myself. Crazy busy, and also, too, pretty self-centered. Uh, if it's not about me, I'm not really interested, <laughs> right? That's kind of the mantra of our culture. But then I started thinking, too, about what a gift listening is. If any of you have received that gift or received that gift recently, you know what a gift it is to be listened to. To have someone take the time and listen to you. To understand what you're talking about. To listen for five minutes, 20 minutes, an hour or two. To listen to you and what a gift that is. How many of you uh, have had that recently? Or someone just listen to you. You know what it's like though, right? How busy the world is. How busy our culture is. You know how the crazy speed of things. And you can tell too when you go to meet with somebody 
who you can tell like they're kind of checking their watch or they keep checking their phone or you're talking in mid-sentence and they, they interrupt and they start talking about what's going on with them. You know what it's like, right? So how do we listen with care? Because if we're going to listen like the culture around us listens, it's not going to go well. So where do we learn? How do we listen with care? Well, obviously, I'm a pastor, and <laughs> so we're going to go to Scripture. We're going to look at the Word of God and how we can learn to listen. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 35 uh, to 42. Or if you'd like, uh, if this is easier for you, you can just look in your bulletin as well. And I'm just realizing it says Luke chapter 9, 1 through 10. That's not the right text. It's actually uh, chapter 18. Okay, so listen to this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting beside the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So Jesus is on mission. Jesus is on mission, yet he still cares for people. He still takes time to listen. And it's interesting, if, as you read this story, um, we've, many of you have heard this story or read it lots of times, it sometimes can be hard or we, it can be easy for us to overlook this cultural or the social aspects of Jesus' day. There's actually quite a bit of pressure for Jesus not to listen to this guy. First of all, there's social pressure. If you look in the text, it said a couple things. One, the guy, was, he was a blind man, so he's blind. And in the ancient world, um, physical disabilities like that were often looked at as judgment. So if any of you remember the story from John, when Jesus heals a man who's blind, or actually before he does, his disciples ask, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's blind like this? And Jesus said it wasn't sin, it was so that the Son of Man could be made great, so God could be glorified in his healing. But the assumption was that this person was blind because either he had done something wrong or his parents or somebody had done something wrong and this was the judgment. So this man is blind. So already he's facing that social pressure. He's already facing those sort of assumptions about him. Not only that, but he's also begging. And that's sort of um, chicken or the egg. You know, was he begging because he was blind? Or, you know, was he, like, how does that work out? Is that... Was he poor or was he poor because he was blind? And I think in the ancient world, it was probably a mix of both, but also, too, his blindness put him on the outside of society. Uh, no doubt his parents were ashamed of him. No doubt his parents probably wanted nothing to do with him. They probably acted like, you know, he just, we just he didn't survive. He's dead to us. And so they throw him out. And so he's left to fend for himself. He's left to make it on his own. But he's blind, so everybody assumes that he's done something wrong, so they immediately treat him like garbage. Not only that, but he can't work, or I'm not sure what he would do with his blindness. I mean, there's different things he could have, obviously, but in that world, I'm not sure how he fit in the economy. And so there he is, begging. 
And so people walk by him, probably day in, day out. And I was reading this one commentary, said it was only because of the ancient Jewish, their high value of, of charity, that the guy even survived at all. Not that because people had compassion for him, it's because they valued giving money as charity. That was an important thing for, uh, for ancient Israel. And so that's what he survived on. And so here he is, this guy who's blind. He has no family around him. Nobody's there taking care of him. And he's begging. People treated him like trash. He was expendable. He was like garbage on the road that you just walk around. You see it. You catch a glimpse of it in this story. Uh, this whole crowd is around Jesus. And they're coming up to him. And he says, he says, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is a group of people around Jesus, right? And what do they say? Do they say, hey Jesus, we've got a guy over here who needs healing. He's calling your name. He realizes who you are. Praise God, come heal him. No. They rebuke him. And in the Greek text, it's more like they said, shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Be quiet. You can see this group of people around Jesus completely missed it. They treated this guy like the culture around them treated him. Hey, garbage, be quiet, get off the road, make way. We've got more important things to do. Which is interesting. I mean, I can't even fathom it. Though actually, you know what, we, we make these mistakes too. Even us who follow Jesus now, we make assumptions like the culture around us rather than like, like a follower of Jesus. I mean, Jesus kind of made some pretty big statements, you know, when he began his ministry. When he was in uh, Nazareth, and he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to release those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like, this was like Jesus' opening statement, his inaugural address. This is who he said, this is what he said he had come to do, and the people around him tell this blind, poor man to shut up and be quiet. So that's the pressure, the social pressure that Jesus is facing, right? Not only that, but he's also facing uh, time pressure. You see, in Luke's gospel, Luke records um, uh, Jesus' ministry. And he makes a point to mention that um, after Jesus was transfigured, after he'd gone up the mountain with uh, Peter and James and John, and he saw Moses and Elijah, and his face glow, uh, um, glowed, yeah, not glue, glowed. Uh, <laughs> get my past tenses right. Been hanging out with too much with Louisa, our uh, exchange student. Um, anyways, um, uh, his face glowed. So he comes down and he says, you know, God has this mission for me. The Son of Man must suffer many things, go to Jerusalem, die, and then rise again on the third day. So as much as early as chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is on this mission, this journey to Jerusalem. And we are right at the end of that journey. Jesus is nearing Jericho and actually goes into Jericho and that's where he meets Zacchaeus. And after Zacchaeus, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this is like right at the end of the journey. Right at the end, kind of like Jesus is on a mission here. Can any of us relate to that? When we're on a mission, I've got 
five minutes to be there. And somebody says, hey, can you help? Or hey, I need to talk to you for a second. Jesus was facing all kinds of pressure. Tons of social pressure. Tons of time pressure, too, to just move on. To just act like maybe he didn't hear the guy. Or to even treat him like everybody else in the culture around him treated him. Like garbage. Just walk around. Despite all this pressure, despite everything else that's pushing Jesus to just ignore the guy, to not listen, Jesus stops and listens to him. It's interesting, because Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? That's his question to the guy. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I don't think Jesus is asking that question because he's trying to figure out how he should help. He knows this guy. He has known this guy since he was knit together in his mother's womb. Jesus is not asking, what do you want me to do for you? Because he has no idea what to do. It reminds me of the story of Jesus when he was in Samaria. <clears throat> and he's out at the water, at the well, and there's the woman. And he's talking with her and, and asks for a drink. And then eventually he says, why will you go get your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And the Samaritan woman, she responds, she says, oh, I can see you're a prophet. <laughs> you can see what's going on. You already know. So Jesus is not here asking this blind man, you know, I have no idea how to help you. Can you tell me? I mean, one, he sees that he's blind, but he knows this guy from the beginning. I think Jesus is listening to him here. Despite all the pressure from the society around him, the culture, all their assumptions, maybe the, the timetable that he's on to get to Jerusalem at the proper time, he takes time to listen. What do you want me to do for you? Imagine, the crowds around him, they're probably still all in a huff about this guy raising a ruckus. And Jesus stops and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the guy says, I want to see again. And Jesus commands it, see again. In the Greek, I know in, in, the, in the English it's a little bit more different than that, but in the Greek it just says, see again. Your faith has healed you, or your faith has saved you, actually. So he heals this man. And the guy begins following him and praising God. All the people around him begin praising God. This just shows us amazing things happen when we will stop and listen. And I had no idea Tracy was going to say it like that with the kids today. <laughs> I'm convicted. If I would just stop and listen, maybe things would, amazing things would happen. <laughs> maybe I might do dishes. Oh. <laughs> or at least do what I, when I was supposed to do them. Sorry, I digress. Um, but Jesus, amazing things happen when we stop and listen. God does amazing things when we stop and listen to people when we hear their stories, when we listen to what is happening in their lives or how God is at work in their lives, God does amazing things with that. <clears throat> it's no mistake, I don't think, I think Luke wrote it this way or recorded it this way. He wanted to make sure we heard these two stories together. Um, just before this passage uh, in Luke's Gospel, you actually have the story of the rich young ruler. And I think... Um, 
Luke told, like, wrote these stories, or recorded these two stories, or these three stories next together. The rich young ruler, this blind man, and, um, and Zacchaeus, to, put, to have them all work together to help us see what following Jesus looks like. So let me just refresh your memory. The rich young ruler is this, this young guy who comes up uh, to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit, to inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, why do you call me a good teacher? And, um, you know, basically keep the law. And the, and the young man, this hot shot, says, oh, <laughs> good, because I've been doing that since I was young. I think, I've, I think you're going to be pretty impressed. Um, and, you know, you might actually, might actually work out pretty well for you, Jesus, if you kind of bring me on your team, because I'm wealthy, I keep the law, I'm doing pretty well. And Jesus says, this is interesting, it's key. He says, you lack, you big, you know, rich, young, wealthy guy who does everything right, you lack one thing. Go and give everything you own to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young man walks away sad, brokenhearted. Now compare that, this guy who started off rich, who walks away discouraged compared to this blind man who is begging for his life, begging for money to even survive, who asks for help, begins following Jesus, and starts celebrating, praising God. I think we're meant to see these two guys next to each other. The guy who seemed like he had everything goes away discouraged, and the guy who had nothing begins following Jesus, praising God. Do you see the difference? Okay, well, it gets more than that because after this rich young ruler, you know, the, the disciples uh, you know, ask him, actually Jesus said, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, oh, Jesus, like how, like how is this possible for anybody then? And Jesus said, with, on, and, you know, with God, nothing is, with, is impossible. With human, with human ability or with people, it's impossible, but not with God. And so then he goes on to continue teaching them. And some of the disciples say, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. And then Jesus explains to them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, die on a cross, and then be on the third day raise, or rise again. So, he says all this, and then the last little line, just before we hear about Jesus running into this uh, blind man who's begging, is it says, they didn't, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus said. Said it was hidden from them. They didn't get it. So these are the disciples, the guys who've been following Jesus for a long time. The guys who are supposed to know it's hidden from them. They can't see it. And then you have this blind man who calls out Jesus, son of David. Which, you know, for us, we think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. Son of David, this, this blind guy who's physically blind, but I think spiritually is seeing everything very clearly, realizes that Jesus is this Messiah coming from the line of David, this great king that the people of Israel have been waiting for for centuries. And he says, have mercy on me. The disciples who've been with Jesus, who are supposed to get it, it's hidden from them what Jesus said. I mean, I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and die and on the third day rise again. It's hidden from them. Yet this blind guy on the side of the road, 
physically blind, spiritually sees everything. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it's interesting because in Luke's gospel, um, it's actually um, uh, Joel Green and um, Daryl Bach, commentators on this, uh, scholars who helped me see this, they said that this is the only place in Luke's gospel where somebody refers to Jesus as Son of David. This blind guy who's begging is the only guy in all of Luke's gospel who gets that part of it, who proclaims that. So this is the first place that that's mentioned. But this is also the last person that Jesus heals in his ministry in Luke's gospel before he goes to the cross. So this guy is significant. And it fits with Jesus. It fills out his promise when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Back, way back at the beginning of his ministry, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed and proclaim the sovereign year of the Lord. So this is a big event. And it's just before he enters into Jericho and then into Jerusalem. And it says that the man praised God. This blind man began following Jesus, praising God and all the people around him. It was contagious. They began praising God too. Amazing things happen if we will just listen. If we will listen with care, God will do amazing things in people's lives and we get to watch it. So God does this amazing stuff. Despite all the pressure that Jesus faced, whether it was social or time pressure, despite that, he listened to the man and amazing things happened. Okay, so what do we do with this, right? Well, there's tons out of this story to learn. I mean, tons of things. But this morning, we're focusing on the listening portion. We watch, we're trying to learn how Jesus listened. And one of the things I was thinking about is the quantity of our listening. Break it into quantity and quality. But first, let's begin with quantity. Quantity of listening. I think it's hard for us to listen very much, or at all, if we are too busy. If we plan every day to the minute, it, it makes me crazy when I do that. I'm trying to squeeze things in, and um, we need to leave margin in our days. We need to um, maybe not plan them so tightly. Maybe if we've got something that's at 2 o'clock and something that's at 3 o'clock, we don't plan for something from uh, 2.45 to 3. We just leave those 15 minutes open. And if we're sitting there quietly reading a book or praying and someone comes up to us, we're ready to talk with them, to listen. We need to listen, to have margin in our day. I've been convicted of this um, regularly in the last while. Um, as the the gets nicer and more people in, in our neighborhood are walking their dogs or just walking in general. And I'm in our car going from one appointment to the next and I'm just waving as I whiz by. I'm thinking, God, here's an opportunity to talk with them, to stop and listen for five minutes or 40 minutes to make a connection with them. 
I talked about this last week, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And one of the, a very unique and becoming increasingly rare way to show care for people is to listen to them in our culture because people don't listen. People don't listen to each other. They don't take time. So one of them is leave room, some, leave some uh, margin in our lives to, that we're not rushed. That if someone says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? We can say, yes, of course. I've got time. I'd love to listen to you. Leave margin. Leave quantity of space. The other thing, too, is to plan time to meet with people. Because it's, you know, that's, that's a good thing, but that's not going to solve all the problems. There, there are things that we need to do. There are appointments we need to keep. But to make time with people. If someone says, hey, I, I'm so busy, I, or I'm sorry, I need some help, can I talk with you? Then maybe we say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm on my way to this meeting right now, but could we meet tomorrow or the next day? Because I'd love to devote just some time to listen to you. That we plan for time with people. Or if you know somebody who you're connected to who's struggling or going through difficult things, you say, hey, let's get together, let's go for coffee this week. Or can you come over and let's have lunch together? It doesn't have to be elaborate. Like you don't have to go uh, buy an expensive lunch or anything. You can just meet for a cup of coffee or even have someone to your place to just plan time to meet with them. So quantity of time, quantity of listening time, planning to be with them and leaving margin in our days. The other thing is quality of listening. Okay? So Tracy touched on a little bit with the kids. Quality of listening. In our society... There's lots of examples of how not to listen well. There are lots of examples on how to listen badly. And if we're going to take time, and time is important to us, time is, you don't get it back. If we're going to take time to listen to people, don't waste it by listening badly. And there's two things, there's probably a couple others, but there's two things that I want to talk about that are listening badly. One of them, and Tracy talked with the kids about it, is when we listen, just barely enough so we can start formulating what we want to say when there's a space. There's a saying, I couldn't find who actually said it, but the opposite of listening is not speaking. The opposite of listening is waiting to speak. Have any of you experienced that? I, forgive me, I know I've done that, where I'm listening to someone and I'm thinking, oh, here's what I want to say as soon as they, as soon as they shut up. Here's what I want to say. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? You know that they're doing that to you. You're talking, and then all of a sudden they start talking about something that you said five minutes ago. The opposite of listening is not speaking. The opposite of listening is waiting to speak. Don't do that. Do your best. If you find yourself doing that, just stop and listen to the words the person is saying. You'll get your chance. And maybe it's not that day. Maybe it's later. But listen to people and what they're saying. Try to understand what they're saying. And if it helps you, you I mean, this is something that um, uh, people do when they're trying to show they're listening is, you know, I think I heard you. Did you just say, and you repeat back what they said? It's amazing how, like, just how validating, how meaningful that can be to people when you show them that you heard what they said. So you can say, this is what I think I heard you say. Am I right? And you go on and you tell them, and they say, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Thank you. And you say, okay, here's, what I, here's how I'd respond to that. So one is listen to people. Don't just wait to speak. 
The other two, the other one, and guys, I think this is one more for us, um, is fixing people. When people come, and there's sometimes where people says, where a person comes and says, hey, I need help with um, how to do this thing. And if it's simple, you say, oh, here's how you do it. And they're grateful. Thank you. That was awesome. They're not, wait, they're not really waiting for you to listen to them and connect with them and, and do all that. They just need help. But there are lots of times when people come and they're, they have a complicated problem and they just want to uh, process it. They just want to talk about it with you. That we listen then without resisting the urge to just fix people. Because complicated problems usually come with nuanced answers. And when we take someone's complicated problem, guys, I'm speaking mostly to us, and we say, oh, well, you just need to da, da, da. Done. Huh? Right? <laughs> if anybody's ever had somebody do that to you, how helpful is that? <laughs> Not. When we listen, resist the urge to fix. I mean, use a little bit of uh, common sense. If, it, if someone's asking, how do I screw these two things together? Like, that's not a complicated problem. That's just, well, oh yeah, here's how you do that, if you know how to do that. But if someone's saying, here's my complicated, that I'm, complicated issue that I'm facing in my life, resist the urge to reduce it for our sake, so that we can give some trite answer on how to fix it. That doesn't help them. usually just indicates to them that you're not really listening, that you don't really care, and they're going to go find somebody else. If you're going to take time to listen to someone, don't blow it by trying to reduce it and fix it and move them along. People pick up on that. That's listening badly. I'm sure there's others, but just for this morning... I think if we worked on those two things, is one, listening without the urge or without planning on what we're going to say next, if we actually listened, and we listen without resisting the urge to just fix people, to reduce their problem and fix it, it's amazing how people will feel listened to and the kind of relation that will grow out of that, the relationship. Because we know that it's, it's through listening to each other that relationships form. If we're doing all the talking... It, it's hard for people, it's hard to understand, like, to know people. So for us to listen well. And the, if you have these sheets, they're just in your bulletins. This is, just says, listen with care. And it talks about um, how important it is for us to listen. Just, you can even just ask questions. I mean, listening is super straightforward. I'm not going to say easy, but straightforward. Just to say, how are you doing today? Like, watch this. Someone says, you go to someone and say, how are you doing today? Oh, fine. And then you say, no, really, how are you doing today? And they say, oh, that's not just, how are you doing today? You're not just saying, how, how are you doing today as a way to acknowledge my existence. You actually care. And then they say, oh, well, here's what's been going on. And you just listen. How meaningful, what a gift that is to people. After you have some chance, maybe a couple times, maybe even you feel like, oh, I've had this amazing connection with someone, and you feel this, this ability to ask them, you can begin asking even spiritual questions of people in our community, your friends, your neighbors. It's interesting. As, as 
as few people in this community who are Christian, something like 5%, um, lots of people in our community care about spirituality. And so two things. One, that gives us room to talk about our spirituality. I find, you know, if everything's kind of fair game, then of course I'm going to share what I think about spirituality. So that's one good thing. The other thing, too, is that it, it makes that conversation uh, way easier to have in our community. You might get some really, really surprising, interesting, maybe to you strange answers of what that is. But listen, you can say, like, how have you seen God at work in your life? Or have you had any experiences where you think God, like, that have suggested there's a God to you? Man, that's a pretty innocuous question in our, in our society. I mean, you, who knows what answer you're going to get? But you'll probably get an answer about that. And you just listen. It's, it's not that difficult. Maybe it's hard because you're thinking like, oh, this is so different than what I believe. And maybe even wrestling with this is so wrong compared to what I believe. But you just listen. God will do amazing things if we will just listen to people. To listen with care. Think about it. Imagine if we were the church in Balfour that had this notorious reputation. Oh, the people in Balfour, they are notorious for being good listeners. Imagine what that would be like. If among other things, among other good things, that was our reputation. You know, I know that I can talk with just about anybody of that church family because they care, and I know they care because they will listen to me. A dream of that for us. That we would be known as that evangelical church in up there on Upper Balfour Drive or Upper Balfour Road that listens to people. I would love for that to be part of our reputation. So, listen with care. It's one of the practices that missional or the people on mission do. It's one of the practices that helps us connect with people and encourage them in faith. As we watch, uh, watch with Jesus, there's going to be tons of pressure to not listen to people. I get that. But if we will make time and listen to people, God will do amazing things in that. So make quantity, like listen with quantity, make room for people, make time for people to listen to people. And quality, don't do the mistakes of listening badly. Just listen well, for their sake. Bless them. Amen.